0: Well, good morning. My name is Nathan Martin. I am one of the teaching pastors here at Community Christian, and we are just so honored you chose to be with us here today. And if you haven't done so already, would you make sure to go on your phone and go to Uh, ashleyparkchurch.com? We want you on your phone this entire service throughout my message. And let's be honest, you're going to be on your phone anyway, so why don't you go ahead and use it for some good? Now, I'm pretty sure that your campus host has already talked to you, uh, especially those of you who are new around here, about why you should go to ashleyparkchurch.com and why you should click on the card that says, I'm new here. And I just want to kind of add to that and let you know, one, it's super easy. All we need is your name, an email, and a phone number, and then make sure you click submit so we get the information. But I want to tell you one reason I think that you really would want to do this Uh, I know that if you came here today and you're new here and maybe you're not sure why you're here, but there really is a reason that you showed up this morning and maybe it's just to connect with some people or maybe just get some answers to something or maybe there's something going on in your life that you'd like to talk to someone about. One of the best features, I think, of this ashleyparkchurch.com website is when you fill out the I'm New Here card, you get an email right away from one of our pastors. You'll have their name. You'll have an email address of a pastor at your campus, and then you can reach out to them at whatever time that you need to, and then uh, you can just connect with them. And so I really, really want to urge you to make sure to go to ashleyparkchurch.com and fill out that I'm New Here card. I really think it would be a benefit To you, and so I hope you do that this morning. But as we get started in the sermon today, I really want uh, to start by talking about parenting. Uh, My daughter Corinne was born right about three years ago now, and my wife and I just received the greatest joy by becoming parents. I mean, I don't think anything could prepare us for this amazing responsibility, this amazing privilege that you get to judge every other parent on the planet. I mean, that's really what happens when you become a parent, is you get to judge every other parent. And don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. We all do this. It doesn't matter what you do, what you choose for your kids or for your lifestyle. There are a bunch of people who agree with you, but there's an equal amount of people who are quick to judge you and look down on you. And you do the same thing. And you know how I know? Because whenever you go to a dinner party or a birthday party or you're just hanging out with some friends and their kids, when you and your spouse or your significant other get in the car, the first thing you do as soon as those doors close is you look at each other and say, what was wrong with those kids? Are they possessed or something? I mean, were the the parents going to say anything to them? How, How could you raise your kids that way? I mean, I." I was thinking maybe I need to step in and spank these kids. I mean, they're not mine, but I'm just thinking somebody needs to do something about this. And then you look back at your own kids and you say, I'm just so thankful you guys don't act like that. And what you really mean is, I'm so thankful we are such fantastic parents. We all do this. I mean, there is something about judging that is just fun. (laughs) Let's be honest. We get to feel superior. We get to determine who is right and who is wrong. We get to feel a little better about the chaos and insecurity of our own lives when I stare into the mess of someone else's life. And you don't even have to be a parent to do this. We all do this. In fact, you don't even have to leave the comfort of your own home to do this. Social media has made it so convenient that you can just sit and scroll and judge how somebody else's raises their kids or how they spend their money or the things they wear or their political opinions or the food they eat right from the comfort of your own couch it's just so simple now we even have an entire entertainment industry that is built around judgment and feeling superior it's called reality tv and i'm not judging you because i watch a ton of reality tv myself but let's be honest about this you don't watch Real Housewives of Wherever or Love and Hip Hop or Hoarders or Teen Mom because it feeds something in your soul. It just makes me a better person. No, you watch it because it's fun to feel better than all these messed up people. I mean, you get to feel at some point like, man, my life may be messed up, but it's not my strange addiction messed up. This is what politics has become in our in our country. I mean, it's it's sports now. It, it, it's, it's not about trying to, who has the best idea? It's about belittling and talking down to people who have different ideas. And we don't even call each other Republicans and Democrats anymore. We call each other idiots and bigots. I think it's why we're obsessed with scandals in our news and in our news feeds. There's something in us that loves to see people when they fail, and not because it makes anyone better, but because we get to feel better then. And our private lives are not any better than this either. We, we all have got relationships where I am desperately seeking the approval of another person, and I want them just to say, I'm okay, but all I seem to get is judgment and passive-aggressive comments. And it hurts, but then I judge everyone else in my life. Our world has just become this wasteland of condemnation and judgment. And the problem isn't just out there, it's right here. It's in me. I'm guilty. You're guilty, which is why we're starting this new series today called I Can Relate. We're continuing to look at this famous sermon of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been doing that for about the past six months, and we're kind of in the home stretch now in the last chapter here. And in this sermon, Jesus is talking about what the kingdom of God, which is what he called it, looks like. And really what the kingdom of God is, is What a person's life would look like if they totally were aware in every moment that the power and presence of God was with them. And this section of the Sermon on the Mount is really all about our relationships and how we relate to other people. And so, you know, we call it I Can Relate because you get that little bit of a pun there. But it also is because we can relate. We all know what it's like to have broken relationships or messy relationships or people who annoy us or frustrate us or offend us or people we've just tried to cut out of our lives altogether. And we're going to be learning in this series what relationships in the kingdom of God, his power and presence, really looks like. And today we're going to start by looking at Jesus' teaching on judgment. And I know that I don't have to read this because you probably already know based on uh, the video you saw just a, a few moments ago, and really just based on our culture, even if you're not a Bible person, you know what Jesus has to say about judgment. This is one of the most quoted parts of the Bible. And so I don't have to read to you what Jesus has to say, but I have 35 minutes to fill, so I'm gonna read to you what Jesus has to say. This is what he says Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now, I bet you've heard that before you walked into this room today. We love this verse. It's so simple, it's so clear. Don't judge. Don't look down on others. Don't feel superior to other people. Don't condemn people for their behavior the way they live. Don't refuse to accept another person. Don't judge. Don't do it. It's simple. So, why do we all struggle with this, like we just talked about? I mean, in theory, we all agree with this because none of us want to be judged. But if we're honest, There are a few people or types of people that I want to put on a list of people it's okay for me to judge. In fact, it it feels like I'm right to judge them. Like, let's go back to parents. I mean, if there's a bad parent, isn't it right for me to judge them and be like, you're bad. You're just, you're bad. You're a bad parent. What about people who their personality just drives me crazy, and and I almost think it's wrong that they act and they live the way they do. Or what about someone who's Political opinions or their beliefs, they're not just, I don't think they're wrong, they're offensive to me, or or what about someone who has a sexual past I disagree with, or sexual behavior that I disagree with, or a sexual orientation I don't like? What if someone is just plain unlikable to me? What if they're a criminal? What if they're a terrorist? Let's be honest, there has to be a line somewhere. Jesus, I get. I get that for most people, this don't judge thing, it's a great idea, but there has to be a line somewhere. There has to be someone that I can judge and I can look at and go, I'm just better than them. I've just got this more figured out. In fact, it feels a little irresponsible to say I have to accept everyone. I can't judge anyone. It feels naive. It feels like bad behavior is going unpunished or ignored. There has to be someone I can judge. But Jesus doesn't give any exceptions. He says, don't judge, don't condemn. And the truth is, this is how Jesus lived his life. In fact, one of the things that got Jesus most in trouble in his day was how non-judgmental he was, how truly accepting he was. There was a group of people that were labeled as tax collectors and sinners, and everyone agreed this group of people was okay to judge. You got sinners who all the religious people look at and say, hey, they've done things God doesn't like, they've done bad things. So they're bad people. And then you got tax collectors who even the sinners look down on the tax collectors because they're traitors to their people. They're the lowest of the low. But Jesus was always with these people. In fact, one time, Jesus is at a party with those kind of people, the tax collectors and sinners. And the religious leaders of his day find out and they ask Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? One translation uh, that I love phrases it as, why does your teacher eat with such scum? I mean, this label, tax collectors and sinners, it was meant to be harsh and cutting and degrading. I'm labeling you as tax collector and sinners. You're not worthy of my time. Jesus is eating with the worst kind of people. I mean, whoever is on your list of evil and offensive and you couldn't imagine accepting them, That's who Jesus is eating with. And in ancient culture, eating with someone wasn't something you just did if you tolerated them and you had to grab a bite to eat with them. When you ate with someone, it was like a stamp of approval saying, I accept this person. They're good with me. They're on my team. And so Jesus is here with tax collectors and sinners, the lowest of the low. And let's be honest, these are people, they're sinners, they've done bad things. Tax collectors, they're traitors to their people. And the religious leaders are like, Jesus, it's like you're given a stamp of approval to everything they've done by accepting them. But Jesus, this was who he was. In fact, the only people that Jesus seemed to show any kind of, anything that looked like condemnation towards were religious leaders, religious people who were condemning other people in the name of God, as if God wanted them to. He called these religious leaders a brood of vipers. They're venomous and toxic. He called them whitewashed tombs of, you've got this version of yourself that everyone sees that's good and clean and holy, but on the inside, you're like rotting flesh, full of dead people's bones. And in their culture, that was incredibly offensive. But what offended Jesus the most was that a group of people who represented God and his kingdom would show nothing but contempt towards people who were made in the image of God. Because Jesus knew that in God's kingdom, there was no place for judgment or condemnation. You might have heard of John 3.16. It's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I've always been a little bit more of a John 3.17 person. I don't know if you know this, but it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn or to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus did not come to judge us and tell us how wrong we were. In fact, he came to save us and to save us from this system of religion and often just our world system that is full of condemnation and judgment. In fact, uh, one early follower of Jesus, a guy named Paul, he started as a very judgmental religious person who was actually killing Christians because he saw them as having the wrong kind of faith and they were disrupting his faith. But then he met Jesus And God forgave him of everything that he had done. And then one time, Paul wrote this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much? A little bit? None. This means that God only has good thoughts towards you. Maybe that's all you needed to hear today. That's so powerful. The God of this universe only has good thoughts about you. He is not mad at you. He is not against you. He sees all your mess and all your sin and all your brokenness, and still, he only has good thoughts towards you. Our world may be a place of judgment and condemnation, and often, our faith may be a place where people are full of judgment and condemnation. But Jesus came to bring a new kingdom, a new way of life where there is no room for condemnation, none at all. Full acceptance, zero condemnation. Judgment is just not compatible with being a follower of Jesus. And now I know you may be thinking, hold up. I I, I get what you're trying to say, Mr. Preacher Man, and I know you got the microphone and and you've said a lot of good stuff, but I've met me some Christians, and when they saw me the way I dressed, or they saw my tattoos, or they heard the way I talked, or they heard some things about me, or they saw the people I was with, or they heard some rumors about my past, or they heard about how I voted. They had nothing but judgment for me. They made me feel like I was less than worthy to be respected. And if that's true for you today, the only thing I want to say is I believe you, and I'm sorry. I believe you and I'm sorry. And I just want you to know the people who made you feel that way, who passed that judgment on you, they did not represent Jesus and his kingdom. Because in Jesus' kingdom, in God's kingdom, there is no room for condemnation at all. But the sad truth is that's often not true of Jesus' followers. Often, whenever surveys are done in our country about different groups of people, when when people are asked what Christians are known for in our country, you probably have heard this, one of the number one things that always comes back is we're known for being judgmental. We're, we're known for making people feel less than and condemning everyone else for how they live their life. I was talking to my counselor in one of our sessions one week, and he just kind of offhanded said, you, you would be shocked how many people come to me and tell me, and I can tell you things that I would never tell my pastor or the people at my church because they just look down on me. I mean, they'd be shocked by the things that I've done. I'm afraid they judge me. And that is so sad. And, and here's the truth. I know it's easy to start thinking, especially if you're a Christian and you're getting a little defensive. Hey, you know, the problem with the world right now is not people are too judgmental. It's that people don't want to hear hard moral truth. Nobody can be told they're wrong about anything. Everyone's so easily offended and no one wants to be told they need to change. And maybe you're right. Maybe. But let me ask you this. Who told the truth more than Jesus? Who was more honest than Jesus? Certainly, who was more holy and perfect than Jesus and had the right to judge people more than Jesus? You? See, broken people, sinful people, messy people, they ran to Jesus. They flocked to Jesus. They knew that he was perfect and that he was objectively better than them. They knew he saw their sin and their mess, but they loved to be around him because they said, no one treated me the way he did. No one treated me with the kind of acceptance and love that he did. He had full acceptance. This must be true of us. We must become a place that is like an oasis of acceptance In this world, that's a wasteland of condemnation. I mean, we as humans were made to be fully known, where we could show ourselves to everyone and then be fully accepted. But our world is just this wasteland of condemnation. And if you don't think so, if you think we've kind of progressed past that and everyone's accepted or too accepted, let me just ask you this. Have you been on the Internet before? (laughs) I mean, let's just be serious. You know, no matter who you are or, or, or what group you belong to, there is a group of people out there who love the way you live your life and approve of the way you do things and they'll accept you for whatever you do. But then there's other groups on either side that are willing to jump on your case and judge you and make you feel less than no matter how you live your life or what decision you make. And it happens to all of us. And so what happens is in our culture is all of us begin creating a version of ourselves that we think is acceptable to the people around us. And it's really an image that we're trying to maintain or manage. But the real us is back here. And when the real me spends all my time maintaining an image, you know what happens to me? I become imaginary. I'm no longer real. Yeah, this version of myself out here that I've created, that's accepted. But the real me, if they knew what I really thought, who I really was, there'd be nothing but judgment. But Jesus says in his kingdom, there is no condemnation. You never have to hide who you really are and what you've done. I mean, imagine Christians having such a high reputation for being people who are so accepting and so loving and so non-judgmental that people flock to us with their problems. I mean, imagine someone thinking, I have a terrible secret. I've had an affair or my marriage is falling apart and no one knows. Or I just lost my job, and I have debt so high I'm drowning in it. Or I have an addiction. Or I can't stop yelling at my kids and my wife, and I don't know how to stop, and I don't know who to tell about it. I can't tell my counselor, I can't tell my spouse, I can't tell my best friend or people at work or my 12-step group. Heck, I probably couldn't tell my dog because he'd probably judge me. But I came to a church because I knew this was a place where everyone would accept me and no one would think less of me because of how how I've lived because they all know what it's like to be broken too. But before you start to think that this is just some kind of millennial, no judgment, everyone's going to get a participation trophy because they tried kind of ideology that's never going to work in the real world, let me say what this isn't. Jesus is not calling us to be naive, easy come, easy go, no one's held responsible for their actions kind of people. We must be people who discern right from wrong. We have to be people who, when we see something that's sinful, we say, that's sin, that's not right. But we also have to be people who don't judge, because there's a difference between discernment and judgment. See, no one's offended when they go to their dentist and he says, hey, you know, I'm noticing your gums are receding, and you got a lot of plaque buildup, and I see a couple cavities. I think you're not flossing enough, and you really need to floss. No one's upset because that's the dentist's job. He discerned what a problem was, and he identified it. But if instead your dentist walked in and said, oh, what is wrong with your mouth? This is, this is disgusting. I have seen better-looking teeth in a comb. I'm looking at your mouth, and I want to vomit. Are you not smart enough are you too lazy that you can't floss once a day i have contempt on your so-called oral hygiene we might as well call it oral low gene now you should be judging me for making that joke because it was terrible but here's the point you might need a new dentist if that's how he chooses to treat you because there's a difference between discernment and judgment and the difference is in discernment i identify behaviors as harmful or sinful or unhealthy. But in judgment I I identify you as bad, you as wrong. In discernment I may tell you what you what you need to work on because I love you and I care about you. In judgment I treat you as someone who is not worthy of my time or my respect. You see the difference? Being non-judgmental doesn't mean you have to be naive or that you don't hold up standards for people, but It means we don't ignore a person's basic humanity as someone made in the image of God. In our families, in our workplaces, in our relationships, we must discern right from wrong. And we've got to be okay holding people responsible and discussing when they mess something up and even assigning penalties and consequences when that's necessary. Every parent knows that's often necessary. But we have to do so in such a way that we never forget this is a child made in the image of God. And I don't say this from a place of judgment. I, I too am guilty of looking at people in my life through this judgmental lens where I just see them as a collection of problems that they cause for me. And I often take delight in looking at other people and looking at their mistakes and feeling superior. And I spend more time than I'd ever be happy for you to admit gossiping and sharing things about other people. And maybe I'm the only one. But I think the truth is many of us have been trained to just be cynical and judgmental about people by our world. And we call it wisdom. We call it looking out for ourselves. We call it telling it like it is. But it's just being judgmental. And we've been trained by our world. And so if we want to live like Jesus, we have to learn from Jesus how to do that. And so what does it look like to become an oasis of acceptance in a world full of condemnation. Well, let's look at the entire teaching of Jesus now because we've only looked at the first sentence. So this is what Jesus says. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is teaching us a relational aspect of the kingdom of God. In it we ask, how do I want to be treated? In a few weeks, we're going to look at Jesus' famous golden rule, treat others as you want to be treated. Jesus here is saying, how do you want to be judged? When you've made a mistake, when your secret that you've been hiding comes out, when your mess of a life becomes so unmanageable, you can't hide it from people anymore, how do you want them to judge that? And let's be honest, you don't want them to judge it at all. What you want is you want the opposite. You want mercy. Jesus is asking you, What measure of mercy do you want others to give you? We have to ask ourselves that. Because see, I can pour out a bucket of mercy or I can give you a thimble. I got a bucket and I got a thimble. And if I'm a thimble kind of person when it comes to mercy, where I don't cut anyone any slack and I'm quick to look down on others and tell them how much of a disappointment they've been to me, then I should not be expecting anyone else to pour out a bucket of mercy on me when I mess up. Jesus is just saying, hey, this is a law of relationships. You see, when I mess up, what I want is I want someone to pour out a bucket of mercy on me. I want them to take every aspect of my life into account when they think about my mistake. See, I want you to think about my genetics, you know hey, you know, Nathan's, Nathan's German, so he's got a lot of hot-blooded, you know, nature in him, or I want you to take my family history into account, you know, he was a pastor's kid, he was Ed's son, he didn't have a lot of shot in this world, or I want you to think everything about my personality, and my, my Myers-Briggs type, you know, he's an ENTP, and whatever that means, you just got to deal with that, and I want you to take into account that my dog died when I was eight and that some girl dumped me when I was 13. And I want you to think about my weaknesses and my insecurities and every part of my personality. I want you to take that all into account when I mess something up. And then I want you to pour a bucket of mercy on top of that and say, hey, you're still good with me. Yeah, that hurt and that was wrong, but I forgive you. You're still good with me. I want that, but I don't want to give it out because this worldview requires me to choose to identify with the person whose behavior I found so distasteful or so offensive. And that's really hard because what it forces me to do is I have to push past my own personal hurt or the disappointment they've caused me, or I have to push past my personal opinions and ideas, and I have to push past their behavior that I, is just so wrong to me, or their failures, and I have to see them as a person. Not only that, i have to see myself in them i have to say you know i don't really think the way they do i don't have their personality but if i did or you know i didn't grow up like they did but you know if if i had what happened to them happen to me i might think the same way i might i might do the same thing and let's be honest that is just not as much fun it's so much easier just to feel superior and to judge, and it's more fun to gossip about the person or just to cut them out of our lives altogether. But mercy, which is this opposite of what is the opposite of judgment, it requires something more. In Hebrew, which is kind of the, the earliest biblical language, the word for mercy is actually coming from the same root word for the word womb. And really what that means is that it carries this word picture. Mercy, when people would have originally heard it, carried this word picture of womb-like love. It's the kind of love that a pregnant mother would have for their child where they just identify, it's almost like we're one in the same and what happens to me happens to you and vice versa. Mercy requires me to see you as an extension of me, that we're one in the same. And Jesus calls us to be merciful people. At the beginning of this famous sermon, Jesus said, blessed or happy are the merciful. These are the kind of people he wants us to be, to be people who have this same kind of womb-like, tender, and forgiving, and compassionate love that forces us to see ourselves in the person who has offended us, even to the point of someone who maybe has wounded us, our, our enemies. And I get that. Might have turned you off to this whole thing because you're thinking, that just sounds super naive and it's too soft. It's just not practical. But here's the truth for followers of Jesus, we don't do this because it makes sense. We do it because it's what's been done for us. We do it because when we were only worthy of God's judgment, we were unacceptable to Him. He put His stamp of approval on us. He poured out buckets of mercy this womb-like tender love on us when he died for us which is why if we want to be merciful like god is we need the power of god to do this it's why we have to constantly be praying in our lives god would you remind me of your great mercy for me so i can show that same mercy to others you see god had every right to judge me as unworthy of his acceptance and his love, but instead he died a painful death so he could pour out buckets of mercy, womb-like tender love on me. He died so I could enter into this infinite love of God that we sang about earlier in our service. And I have been called to do the same for other people in my life, but I won't be able to do it just by muscling up and trying harder to make it happen. Because you and I both know, you know, if I, if I allowed you to, to explain to somebody why you can't accept this person, what they did, why you can't put a stamp of approval on them, everyone would probably understand. They'd be like, yeah, you don't need that negativity in your life. You don't need that person in your life. But the same was true of us. And so I will not be able to consistently muscle up and show mercy to this person. I'm going to need to be so Overwhelmed with the great mercy and acceptance God has shown towards me, that I can't help but pour out mercy and acceptance on other people. So here's my question for you What does it mean for you to be an oasis of acceptance this week? Maybe it means there are people in your life who they just need to hear an encouraging word from you. There are people in your life who haven't seen you smile when they walk through the door. And they need it more than they could ever express to you. This means that there are people in your life you need to have a conversation with. You need to take out to lunch. You need to have a phone call this week with. Maybe it's your adult child. And you know that you don't agree with the way they're living their life and they know it. But really what they need to hear from you is a phone call or a lunch where you sit down and say, Hey, I know we don't always see eye to eye, but you have my stamp of approval because you're my child. I love you. I'm proud of you. I care about you. Or maybe it's a difficult coworker and you're always button heads with them, and maybe you just need to take a moment to see them as a person and have a conversation where you say, "Hey, how's your week going? How's everything going at home? Show them that you care. Maybe it's someone who's failed you, they've disappointed you, and they know it, and you know it, and you're reminding them of it, and it's all you can think about when you see them. you need to say to them, "Hey, I don't hold that against you anymore." You don't owe me for that anymore. Maybe for you, being an oasis of acceptance means you don't engage with the judgment of other people. And what I mean is, the reason that gossip is fun, one, is because it always involves judgment, but also because when I'm the one who's got some gossip to share, I got some juicy news to share about somebody, everyone else is paying attention to me. They lean in, they ask questions, they want to hear as much as they can, and that's fun. And so what if you were so non-interested in judging other people? What if you were just not engaged with it? And so when someone started gossiping to you, you just didn't engage. You didn't ask follow-up questions. You were just kind of like, hmm, okay. And, and to the point that gossip stopped being fun around you, and so other people stopped gossiping when you were in the, they were in your presence. See, this is the power of the kingdom of God. It, it's not just that you accept everyone else around you, but in your presence, You're an oasis of acceptance, and so judgment and gossip is not fun around you, and so people just don't do it. How amazing would that be? Let's do that this week. Let's be people of high acceptance and zero condemnation. Choose a person this week and practice with them. I mean, who's the person you can't help but seem to think lowly of, and you've always got something negative to say. You've always got some gossip to share about. Who's the person that just needs more than they could ever admit to feel approved and accepted by you? Who needs to see a smile on your face when they walk through the door? Who needs to have a conversation with you and feel like you care? What's the place you could be an oasis of acceptance where no one feels judged? I want to pray that God will give us his spirit to do this because we need his power and presence to ever make this happen. And I'd like to pray for us now, but would you stand right where you are right now, and I'd like to close us in prayer and ask God to help us to be people of high acceptance and zero condemnation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the fact that when we did not deserve your mercy, when All we were worthy of was your judgment and condemnation. You poured out buckets of mercy on us. God, help us to be people who do the exact same thing, who in every environment we are an oasis of acceptance, and everyone knows you're good with me no matter what you've done. You are approved around me. Give us your power and presence to do that for the people in our lives. We thank you for Jesus who made all this possible. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys for being here. We will see you next week for the second week of I Can Relate.